everyone, and welcome to the show, Amy Weber Unleashed. I am Amy Weber, of course, and I appreciate you joining me for another episode, hopefully very informative today. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit today about, I guess, just my battle with cancer and how that all came about and how I mentally sort of got through it. And then also the, you know, the byproduct of that was really just a massive struggle to have children and kind of what that process was like. So let's just dig in and just get get into this ugliness. Um, so apparently when my mother was pregnant, she was given a drug called DES. I am not going to try to... Um, uh, pronounce the acronym out, um, but it was basically a drug that was given to women that they thought were going to either have a miscarriage or they were bleeding. And so what happened was it was meant to go into the pregnant woman's, um, it was meant to go into the pregnant woman's, uh, you know, female organs. And instead, it went into my developing female organs. And so I am what is considered a DES baby. I am one of thousands of uh, babies that ended up with cancer because of this drug. And so I didn't really think um, it was that big of a deal because I was in Florida. <laughs> and Florida is a little bit of a different kind of a, um, um, a state if you've ever been there. But I was in Florida going to college and my doctor at the time said, let's just watch it and um, no big deal. And so as I made my way to Los Angeles by myself on the 10 freeway, I found a new doctor. And when I went to go get tested, she said, what are you doing? This needs to come out. This is this is bad. And so she did one pr procedure and then um, there was basically stage four cancer was underneath um, the cells that she had taken out. So I had to have emergency surgery. And when they did the surgery, they do this thing called a colonization. And that's where, uh, where they're able to tell whether the cancer has reached the margin. So it's outside of where they're able to kind of, you know, dig out and cut out that cancer. Um, I'll tell you an interesting thing before the surgery that happened to me, and it's something that I live my life by um, today in every possible way, which is I truly think that you can manifest the life that you want. I'm getting way off topic here, but I've been reading a lot about quantum physics, and I've also been reading about the secret, and honestly, the universe does not understand time. So we are the people, humans have basically put time into place. And so I read a book, consequently, when I was um, getting ready to have surgery, and uh, it was called The Gift. And it basically taught me to visualize my cancer as an apple. And every night, I would diligently eat away at this apple. So by the time I got ready for surgery and I got in, they went back in with the microscope, and the doctor said, that's strange. And I knew exactly, exactly what she was talking about. And she said, um, because your cervix is like a clock. And so they would tell you that the cancer was at say like two o'clock and four o'clock, five o'clock, whatever. And she said, um, we haven't noted that the cancer was, you know, two o'clock and here and there, and it's not there. And I knew in that moment that I had somehow made that cancer go away because we all know that when we're stressed, we can make ourselves sick. We can make ourselves physically sick. So 
the opposite is definitely true, that we also can make ourselves well. It's just a matter of finding that unwavering faith, that belief that it can happen. So when I went through the cancer, um, it was really strange. I had just moved to LA. I was by myself. I had started to date someone who suddenly thought I was contagious, which is weird. I mean, honestly, if we would have lasted, I would have broken up with him because who's stupid enough to think that cancer is contagious? Um, and I don't want to be with a stupid man. Um, but uh, I was really by myself. And as I've discussed in the past, I don't have a good relationship with my mother and my father. I know now that they did do the best that they can, but they couldn't really be there for me. I did fly my mom out for my emergency surgery, and um, she complained that she had to sleep on a couch and that it hurt her back. And I kind of had to make that realization, like, you know, uh, you know, I have cancer, and they've given me kind of a 30% chance to live, and I'm 22 years old, and can't really take care of you anymore. I've got to, for the first time in my life, put me first. And that's what I did. So I sent her home and I ended up um, needing chemotherapy. And so it makes you really sick. I don't know how chemotherapy is nowadays. I do think that there's um, better forms of it. I do think that there's better aftercare that you're able to maybe not get as sick, but um, it made me deadly ill. I mean, I could not stop vomiting for days at a time. I didn't know how I would peel myself off of the bathroom floor. And I didn't know how I was going to get to chemotherapy. I mean, I'm 50. Uh, you know, I was 22, so do the math. There was no real Uber or Lyft or anything like that or those little, you know, scooters sitting on the side of the road that I could take to my chemotherapy. So um, I called a taxi service and ended up befriending the cab driver. Sorry. Um, and he would take me to my chemo uh, appointments. And he was so lovely. He was from the Middle East, and he had moved to America to make a better life for his family. And he really, I don't think he even knows to this day the difference he made in my life because I could never rely on anyone. I didn't have my parents to rely on, and I really only had myself. And finally, here was this guy that I could rely on to take me to my appointments and to get me there on time and to wait for me. And if I was sick on the way home, he would find a bathroom for me without even asking a single question. So whew. anyways, um, so, you know, you got through that. And uh, I don't know, I guess at the end of the day, uh, it does make you stronger. And you do realize that you shouldn't sweat the small shit, really. And that there's so much life worth living. I remember being really sick. And the one thing that I didn't want to say was, I wish I was dead. Because I felt like I was so close to it that I didn't want to utter those words. I could not put that out there into the universe because that's really not what I wanted. I felt like I had so much life to live and so much left to give to the world. And so, um, you know, once you get through it, um, then I was told, uh, I was 23 at the time, there's pretty much a 0% chance that you will ever become a mom. So that sucked. Um, I mean, it didn't suck that bad at the time because I thought, well, 
I didn't have a great mom because she didn't really have the skills to know what to do as a mother and how to love me and how to say I love you. She didn't know how to give hugs or to say I'm proud of you. Um, and she couldn't protect me from my dad, who was kind of like an alcoholic um, monster. Um, and again, he had his own issues, and I, I've forgiven them. Um, and I do wish them nothing but the best. But, you know, like when you don't have a good role model, you just wonder, like, gosh, I'm probably going to screw that up. So I thought maybe it's just for the best. But then I met my husband, and my husband wanted kids. And my husband really wanted to be a father. And if I knew anything about my husband, it's that he would be the best father to ever live. And if anyone deserved a good father, um, you know, uh, I guess it would be our children. And so, you know, he said one thing and he said, have you ever tried to get pregnant? I'm like, of course not. I've been living my life being selfish, traveling the world, being an actress and a model and making money and building this fortune and building my empire. Of course, you know, I, I can't. He goes, yeah, but have you tried? Because, you know, the answer is always no, unless you ask. Um, and so that's what we did. We tried. And so there's things that you can do. Um, they gave me a medication. I mean, listen, this is crazy to me. I see people walking around LA all the time. They've got like eight kids. And you're thinking like, this is like a really simple thing to do. I mean, people are popping out kids left and right. And, you know, I mean, it should be easy to get pregnant. Your whole entire life, you're trying not to get pregnant. So the opposite should be true. It should just be, you know, cakewalk. Um, but it's not. Especially when uh, you were the age that I was. So I was in my mid to late 30s. And I basically had killed almost all of my viable eggs that I had through the DES that my mother was given and then the chemotherapy. So I had about a, I don't know, less than 1% chance to have to have kids, but we, we went ahead and we went for it. And so you take this medicine, that's what you start with first normally, and it allows you to drop down more than one egg. So you basically have one egg every month, and if that can get fertilized, bingo, you're pregnant, you're on, on your way. Um, but that's one egg. It's really hard. I mean, it's a lot of sperm swimming toward it, but, um, you know, it's still a really difficult thing to do. And so we gave ourselves, I guess, four months to try, and then we went the road of IVF. And so, um, I always kind of feel bad because, you know, women are the ones that, you know, of course we have to go through it. We have to give ourselves the shots and we have to go through the hormones and, it's a little torturous, but I kind of feel bad also for the dads out there, right? And the husbands or the boyfriends because they just have to sit back and watch and feel helpless. Like there's nothing they can really do other than do you need ice? What do you need? I mean, I can't imagine being a man in that situation, being my husband in that situation and just feeling like just like shit. I want this and I'm going to get the benefit of this. But here's this woman who's literally going through hell to try to make this happen for me. And so, um, you know, you go through these treatments and they put you on this program and you're taking all these different injections. And then, um, you know, you get nothing, right? You get no eggs. And then you try again and they mix up the medicines. And, and, then, um, and then I got pregnant. It was crazy. It was like, oh, my gosh. And I had twins. And um, you start to see your stomach grow and you're excited. You don't want to tell people because you want to wait till you get past that sort of, you know, 12 week mark. 
That's the safe, safe zone, everyone says. And so you go in and you listen to the heartbeats and you're so excited and you're planning the, um, the nursery and what you're going to name them. And then um, you get to, you know, 10 weeks and 11 weeks. And, and then, uh, you know, we got to 14 weeks and, uh, and we go in and, uh, and she's looking for the heartbeats. Um, and they're not there. And I, she just kept looking and I knew that they weren't there. And, uh, and they were gone. And uh, at that point, sorry guys, no, this is a deep one. Uh, at that point, they actually have to uh, do what's called a DNC because you're not going to miscarry babies that are that far along, especially two of them. And then they have to do autopsies on the babies because normally uh, there's going to be a chromosomal abnormality and that's going to be the reason for the, the death that there's something wrong and they weren't sort of meant to be. And so that happened, and then they came back and said there was nothing wrong uh, with the chromosomes. So, you know, you get to that point where you're just like, damn, damn, I'm so broken. I'm just broken. And, uh, and it sucks to feel that way. Uh, but I have to tell anyone listening out there that um, you're not broken, and there's nothing wrong with you. And you're absolutely perfect. And sometimes life just gives you these challenges. Um, I don't know why I'm not the universe. I'm not a higher power. I'm not God. I just know that for whatever reason, these challenges are meant to come in. And so at that point, I switched doctors. I didn't think that uh, I didn't think I could do it again. I mean, the, the loss was just devastating for me. And uh, I just felt like half of a human being and not like a woman. I mean, I could even bear a child. What good was I? I was barren, basically. I was sort of washed up, old, and barren. But I found this doctor, and he was really interesting. He had no bedside manner whatsoever. I mean, like, you know, if you were looking for someone to be like, you're good, and you weren't going to get it from this guy. Um, but what he was is he was a, a genius scientist, he was so brilliant that this man had no hinges on any of the door frames in, in his office or in his lab because he believed that if you heated up the lab to the certain point that you needed for the embryos, there could be tiny droplets of oil that could potentially go on those embryos and spoil them. I mean, who thinks of this, right? I mean, I would have never thought, I mean, hinges are hinges. Um, he also sent me to a guy called a reproductive immunologist. And this guy, not only is he a vampire, because he took 16 vials of blood from me, in which I passed out afterwards, um, but he studies your blood to figure out, um, you know, is there something kind of going on? And what he concluded was that my body was actually attacking the fetuses. So my body, I guess, thought I had cancer again and was going in and kind of doing its job. And so I, uh, I had to make a choice, and that was to do a really controversial therapy, and that was called IVIG therapy. That is where they put hundreds of thousands of strangers' white blood cells into your body. Of course, they spin it and clean it. Nothing bad goes into you. But it tricks your body into thinking it's someone else's body. Uh, and uh, man, it's painful. It's uh, it's just like straight fire, 
going into your veins. It takes about six hours to infuse and uh, it can make your heart stop. So you have to be prepared to go into cardiac arrest. But uh, at the time, what had happened is I had two frozen embryos at one clinic and uh, I had gotten two fresh at another and they they do this thing where like they call them like eight cell because you know we all were cells we ended up with cells and so if you can get to like an eight cell and they keep dividing and then obviously you know they they turn into you know you know bone and muscle and tissue and everything um the group of cells but um your cells and so i had to take my frozen embryos which i just considered them children at that point all the way from Pasadena in California to Encino. And so I was literally, I had a canister. It looked like a keg. I mean, like it literally looked like a kegger, right? In my passenger seat, which I had seat belted in. And I was driving like a mad woman, thinking that perhaps somehow these children were going to unthaw before I could make it all the way across town, honking my horn, like get the fuck out of my way. You know, I was like so nervous. Um, and then, uh, and then I got them there and we, you know, you have the procedure and there's this one final shot that you give yourself. And what it is, is it, it releases the, uh, the eggs that they can then collect. And so, you know, I'm ready. I've got my two fresh, I've got my frozen. And I just said, just put them all in, right? Like I wasn't trying to have twins. I wasn't trying to choose eye color or the sex of the baby. I just wanted a baby. I just wanted my dad, my my husband to be a dad, to be a father. And so, uh, boy, I thought, this is it. I'm I'm good. And so it was. It was fantastic. I was pregnant, and I was sick as a dog, which is actually a really good sign for any woman that is listening out there. Just because you don't have morning sickness, it doesn't mean that you're not good. But when you're sick, it means that you have a lot of hormone and not just your hormones, you have the baby's hormones. And I had double. That's how they knew you that I had twins before they were able to see like the sac or the heartbeat is that the hormone level that they were getting out of my blood was just off the charts. And so I ended up with something called um, hypervita gravitas. Um, it's just what they call nonstop vomiting. I was losing a lot of weight. But I was really scared because they wanted to give me medication and I wouldn't even take a Tums because like I'm in this position because they gave my mom this drug. And you know, you think back and I'm in this situation, I'm thinking like, I'm so sick, but I wouldn't do anything to harm my children. And then no fault to my mom's, but it's sort of like, did you ask? Did you ask like, is this gonna hurt my unborn kid? And then you start to think all these weird things like, well, maybe I was just never wanted in the first place, you know? So you go through all these sort of mental fuck things that you put yourself through, but uh, got through that. And then because of my emergency surgery, um, my cervix, which is what's holding the baby inside, decided that it was going to start opening up uh, at 23 weeks. And believe me, the kids are not cooked. They are not ready to come out at 23 weeks. So you have what's called an emergency cerclage, which is super fun because basically you're like a knitting project where they go in and they sew you up. Um, yeah. For men, it's that part, you know, if you're having a, a relationship, that's the part that you hit. Uh, so yeah, that was cool. That was lots of fun. Um, 
And then, um, you know, everyone thinks I'm like this fancy sort of like person, but I ended up on bed rest. So they would not allow me to get out of bed because they just wanted to make sure that, you know, the babies were okay. And the day that they said, you can get out of bed, they were filming a show called It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or something like some old show next door and they had a generator a gas generator and the fumes were killing me and my husband was so mad I mean he was literally ready to go and take like a bulldozer to the generator because I could smell it and it was making me sick again and I just gotten past my hypergravitas whatever this thing is and so he said why don't you just go and you know get out of the house for a little bit and I thought I'm gonna get more movies so I go to Target because, you know, I'm a fancy person. And I, I go to Target and uh, I'm walking toward the cashier and I just think, oh, my gosh, really? How do you pee your pants? Like, <laughs> I pee my pants suddenly like <gasps> I'm like a two year old. Then I realize, oh, shit, I think my water broke. I hadn't been pregnant before. I didn't know. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, OK, just slowly walk like I'm walking like a really ridiculous person um and then it just all comes out and so it's like embarrassing people think I peed on the floor I don't know what they think but all I know is this is bad and I've got to get to the hospital so you know you make it to the hospital and um I think I'm gonna just have these kids I mean that's it I'm 27 weeks pregnant and I'm screwed. Again, once again, my body has failed me and I'm a failure and I'm broken. And they said, no, that's not what happens. They actually put me in the high risk department and I, I stayed pregnant. They gave me medicine every single day to stop the contractions, um, which I would need oxygen for because it makes your heart race. You feel like you're having a heart attack. And then they just wait for you to get an infection. That's pretty much what happens. They just wait for the shit to hit the fan. And I remember it was so difficult. I had three monitors. See, they monitor your uterus. They monitor the babies. And um, you can't move because the minute you move to get comfortable to even try to get uh, 10 minutes of sleep, uh, an alarm would go off. And some nurse would come flying in and treat you like you were a monkey with a diaper on and just like reach down into your underwear. It was just kind of like, it was, there were some nurses that it was very degrading the way that you were treated. I mean, at one point I just said, I'm, I feel suicidal um, only because I hadn't slept. Like when you're sleep depraved, just all these weird things start going through your mind. And so then they're like, well, we can bring you like, you know, you know, I don't know, prolax, whatever these antidepressants. They could give me a million different antidepressants. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You fucking stupid people. I'm in this situation because someone was given a drug. Now you want to give me something else? Like, no, I don't want, just talk to me. Just, I don't know. Just keep me from throwing myself out this window. Um, so finally, like, whatever, I tape something in the door. Like, you can't disturb me from this time to this time. I could try to get some sleep and then... You know, I wake up and uh, and I knew something was wrong. It was 30 weeks exactly. And I called the ER nurse and I said, can you please change my IV? Something really bad is happening. I knew something bad was happening. And so uh, no one was listening to me. It was really strange. And I said, you need to get my doctor here. I know something really bad is going gonna, is gonna to take place. And so suddenly my daughter, she was baby A. She was first baby. 
her heart started to drop. And it got lower and lower to the point where um, they were having a hard time finding her heart rate. And so they crashed me. And uh, it's crazy. Here I am in a movie again, right? Um, I'm running through on this, you know, they're crashing me and they're running me through to try to get me to the, um, the ER. And, you know, right before we get ready to go in, someone like takes my emergency room. Like who takes the emergency room from a woman who's literally like going to possibly lose her? Uh, oh my gosh. I was like, let me out. I'm like, I was ready to punch this bitch in the face with going in to get lipo and so um they finally find an er um an emergency room and they they try to get the epidural in and it's not working and i can feel the scalpel and i'm screaming and i'm thinking to myself like these hallmark movies are such a load of shit because this is not how it is right i mean like not everyone is like oh my god look how cute you take the pictures and you've got like your lashes on no i was literally like, trying to drink some weird milk of magnesia something to make me digest my food and they're trying to stick a damn needle in my back and they can't get me and they're doing the thing and I'm just like oh my god just cut me open I don't care please don't let her die and so um finally I literally felt everything they cut me open it was just the searing crazy pain I didn't care they got her out she did not cry she did give me a dirty look which I took as a good sign uh but she didn't cry and uh, God, I thought for sure she was dead. Um, and then my poor son was just sitting in his sack, like chilling, like he's like, you know, in Cancun, like and not knowing anything that's happening. Uh, and then it took forever. It felt it was three minutes, apparently, but it felt like 20. He was stuck under my rib cage to get him out. And he did cry. But, you know, they have like these teams, like in these like almost like hazmat suits ready to whisk your kids off and you don't get to hold them. You don't even really get to see them and you don't know what's happening. And then after the fact, I find out that they had to restart my daughter's heart three times and then they couldn't get her intubated. And so they both went on sort of like these breathing, you know, machines because they couldn't breathe on their own. And they had all these problems. They had holes in their hearts and they had, you know, jaundice. And I can't even tell you everything that was wrong with them. But, um, you know, I share this story because um, my kids are great. Thank God. My kids are amazing. I have incredible kids. They just turned 12. Um, but I want to share this because, um, you know, the puppies and butterflies and we have so many celebrities out there, right, that are popping out twins and they're not super honest about it. I'm not saying that because you're a celebrity, you owe it to the world to tell people how you got there. But um, it would be kind of nice if a few people, you know, I mean, Angelina Jolie and, and, and J-Lo and, um, oh my gosh, who else? Like Beyonce and George Clooney and Amal and, you know, so many people have had twins and it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you have people, of course, like, you know, Tyra Banks and Amy Schumer and Courtney Cox and people that have really talked about their struggle, but I think it's hard for just you know, women, everyday women that are, you know, just doing everything they can to become a mother and to give the gift of, you know, birth to their husbands or their significant others. And people make it seem like it's so easy. And it's not. It can be really tough. It can be a massive journey. It can be an almost suicidal journey. 
Um, but I want to share this and I wanted to share this today because I felt it was important that people understand that, uh, first of all, if you want something bad enough, never give up, never give up. Even if you get a million no's, if you know in your heart that this is something you want, even if it's not to become a mother, do not give up. Uh, number two, the answer is always no, unless you ask. And, uh, number three, always get a second opinion. If I had stayed with the other clinic, I probably would not be a mother right now. And I would not have these incredible kids that before I left to come here said, because they love all the Marvel movies, mom, we love you 6,000, uh, not 5,000. Um, and so, you know, I guess I just wish, you know, in the age of social media, I wish people would just be a little bit more forthcoming and honest. Um, I think filters are great. I love them. I'll use them. Um, but I think it's tough for people to kind of have this standard that they have to live up to. And they see people in the media and they see people on TV and, and you know, this is what they're trying to achieve. And it's not always real, guys. Okay? It's not always real. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you may not be privy to. And so um, on that note... I will say to everyone, thank you so much for listening. I know it was a very deep conversation, not like the standard uh, jovial kind of thing, but I think it was an important thing to share. So until next time, this is Amy Weber. Remember, when it rains, go find those rainbows. And when it's dark, go look for those stars.